Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth? We'll be in the fourth chapter, verses 13 through 17 will be our text. Ruth 4, 13 through 17. We often think of the book of Ruth as a love story between Ruth and who would become her husband, Boaz. Sometimes it's taught as a story of Ruth's loyalty and love for Naomi, her mother-in-law. Sometimes it's taught as a story about Boaz and his righteousness. And certainly these are aspects of the story and true parts of the story. Uh, but these wonderful parts of the story that are sometimes emphasized we have to see that they sometimes take away from the true meaning of the book of Ruth. They're there to actually there to paint the picture of a greater and more spectacular story, and that is the story of God's love for his people. And we see in the unfolding drama of Ruth how it demonstrates God's love for his own glory, a love for his promises, whereby the hope of a people is sustained with the birth of a son. The book of Ruth is about the birth of a child. And so let us hear the word of God, Ruth 4, beginning in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman, women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of God, and may he bless the reading of it. I hope Ruth doesn't sound like a strange book to consider on Christmas morning, when it's actually a perfectly fit book for the Christmas message. For as we read here, we read about the birth of a child in a spectacular manner. And so as we read this text, there's a few questions I want to ask. Is The first is this, what is the nature of this birth, in the birth of Obed? The first thing that we have to see and recognize, it's a miraculous and unexpected event. It's miraculous in the, the, the whole entire theme of the story that's take place, and it's unexpected for it comes from a woman that was presumed to be barren. In verse 13, we read of the spectacular nature of it. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And so the first thing we, we witness is that Ruth's pregnancy is by God's own intervention. It is God intervening into the story so that she is able to conceive a child. And now while it's true and we would recognize every womb is open or closed according to God's sovereign plan, we see the spectacular nature 
of it in Ruth and in this book. And how so, you might be wondering. Well, the story of Ruth begins with her marriage to another man named Malon. Malon is from Bethlehem. And for about 10 years, Malon and Ruth are married, but are unable to have children. And eventually, Malon passes without leaving an heir. Now, why couldn't they have children? Well, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it gives us a, a slight bit of a clue as to why they couldn't have children. Let me read these four verses for you. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Now, one thing is, is that when you read the Old Testament and you see barrenness taking place, it's normally attributed to God's judgment upon the nation, upon a family. And that's exactly what's taking place here. You see this man, Elimelech, and his family, they, they are from Bethlehem. They are of the, the tribe of Judah. And what do they do when there's famine upon the land? Rather than trusting upon God, rather than praying to God, they leave and they go to a foreign country to try to find food there. This is certainly a mark of their unfaithfulness, that they did not trust in God. And then further, what you see is Malon and Chilion, these two boys of Elimelech, they go and marry Moabite women. Now what's the problem with that? Well, God's law prohibited it from happening in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And so what we see here is that this family is actually under judgment. But we also see that the whole entire nation is under judgment. And why is that? Well, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Again, we have to ask, why was there famine in the land? Well, God told the Israelites, when you take the land, if you're obedient to what I say, you will have an abundance. Your enemies will run from you. You'll have food. You're, the, you, you will have fruit of the womb. But if you don't do those things, actually disease will come upon you. Starvation will come upon you. Your enemies will attack you. And that's exactly what we see taking place here. In fact, as we look at this point where it says in verse 1, the judges ruled there. The book of Ruth, as you've noted probably, follows the book of Judges. Now what's the very last sentence of the book of Judges? In those days there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Israel was disobedient, and they were under a covenant of works, because it was conditional, it was under a covenant that said, do this and receive this, do this and live, or do this and die. 
And the people as a whole, the nation, were experiencing the results of breaking the covenant. Individual families like Elimelech and Naomi were living in the results of it. They were from Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And Bethlehem, because of God's judgment upon the nation, had become nothing more than a house of crumbs. And so Elimelech flees. So we see the nature or the unexpected nature with Ruth of being able to have a baby because she's barren. But there's another reason that we see back in chapter 4, verse 13, of why this is a miraculous conception. That word conception is actually only used in two other places in Scripture, in Hosea chapter 9, verse 11, and in Genesis 3.16, which in both cases is speaking of a special intervention of God. And so when we find it here, what the text is telling us is that for Ruth to be able to have a child is a miraculous event. It's special. And the text teaches us explicitly that it is the Lord that brings about the conception of a child. And so what do we see in this birth? When you start the book of Ruth out, they're under God's judgment. They're under God's wrath. They are facing the results of the curse, which is a result of the sin. And when we get to the fourth chapter at the end of the book, what we see is the beginning of the reverse of a curse through the birth of a child. Through the birth of this child, there's a reversing of the tragedy that they were facing under God's judgment. So what is the curse Well, when sin entered the world through Adam's transgression, the earth was under the heavy arm and suffering from the human condition. Ruth and her husband Malon had experienced it by barrenness. But God in his great mercy and grace reverses the pain through the birth of a child. And so I want you to see here is that we see hope is realized in the birth of this child. Now this is true actually of the whole entire book and this verse 13 is the resolution of the entire book which brings us to another question of the text. The text says that the that Naomi is the one that's blessed. Why is the blessing for Naomi? Verse 14 says, Then the women said to Naomi, this is a a gathering of women that have gathered around after the birth of this child, and they're speaking to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. So the women are speaking to Naomi, but Naomi's not the one who had the child, it's Ruth. So why is it that Ruth is not the one that's blessed of the Lord? Why is it that they are saying this? Of Naomi. Well, notice in the text, it first says, Blessed be the Lord. That is for them to say, Praise the Lord. The Lord has has brought this child about. The birth of the child rests upon the sovereignty of God. But then these women that have gathered to bless Naomi go on to say, Who has not left you? And they're speaking to Naomi. They're addressing her. Now we have to look at the whole story to see why they're saying this to Naomi. Naomi left her homeland with her family following her husband Elimelech when they went into the land of Moab. And her whole entire family died in disobedience to the Lord in a foreign land. 
Well, she comes to an awareness that the Lord has visited his people, and now there's food back in her homeland, so she decides to leave and go back. And when she goes to leave, she's speaking to her daughters, and she says this to her daughters in verse 13 of chapter 1, Know my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi fills the judgment of God. She feels the stinging loss of her family. And when she goes to leave back for her land, her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, say, we'll go with you. And you know the story. Orpah does go back to her homeland and goes back to her own gods. But Ruth, it says, clings to her, which in the Hebrew is really beautiful. It means they're like skin to skin, face to face. Ruth is clinging to her mother-in-law and goes back into Bethlehem. And when Naomi returns in the land, the people recognize her. Bethlehem was a small town. And so they recognize that she's back in town and they gather around to greet her. And we read of this return in verse 19 of chapter 1. So, so, so the two of them, and that is Ruth and Naomi, they went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She says it twice now, that the hand of the Lord is against her. She says in verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi is completely flattened by the loss of of her family. Now you'll notice she does not speak against God in this. She just simply recognizes God's sovereign work. She acknowledges his sovereign hand and she says she is empty and and it's really she's empty-handed. She's without anything. She's she's destitute. A woman that had lived her life hearing of the promises of God and the, and, and the blessings of God, she experiences at this point in her life only pain and suffering. Naomi, Naomi feels as if life has been kicked out of her, as everything has been taken from her. And we, we do have to note something about Naomi that's sometimes missed. She isn't poor and needy. She actually, as you go to find out, she has a good chunk of land that's worth quite a bit of money. She's a landowner. Why she's empty is because she is filling the judgment of God upon her family and the loss of her family. It's the loss of seeing the promises of God come about that has flattened her and made her feel empty. And the sadness that she has is, is represented when she says to call me Mara. Now the name Naomi means pleasant, and all of the names in in the book of Ruth take on significance to the story. Her name means pleasant, and so when they even see her, they have to ask, is this Naomi? Because now she's saddened, and so she says, call me Mara, which is sorrowful, it's sadness, it's to be bitter. And literally, that that word Mara is used either of food or or water that that is bitter, that it has to be spit out. That's her demoralized state. 
That's her brokenness that she has experienced. However, what do we read when we get to chapter 4? What we read of her is that the Lord blesses Naomi from being empty to being once again full and pleasant with the birth of a child she is restored to fullness. Let that sink in. It's the birth of a child that comes into this world through miraculous and unexpected means is the one who restores life to this woman that was once formerly broken. A child brings her what she had lost. And the text captures the nature of this in verse 16 where it says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. She views this child almost as her own, which special connects the specialness of the child to Naomi. Now, again in verse 14, the women are saying to her that the Lord has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And so we have to ask the question, who is this Redeemer? Now, if you're familiar with the story of Ruth, we are quickly introduced to a righteous man that we've already seen his name, named Boaz. And let me read of Boaz when they first meet him to get a, an idea of, of, of his own righteousness. In chapter 2, we, we get to meet Boaz. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please, he, she said, please, let me glean and gather after the sheaves, after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. What's amazing, as we're introduced to Boaz, the emphasis is that he's related, <coughs> that he's related to Ruth, and that he is a kind man, that he cares more for the people than he cares for making a quick prophet. But I want you to notice the Lord's sovereign hand in all of this. It says in verse 3, she happened to come upon this field. It's literally her chance chanced upon this field, which shows us the Lord's handiwork in taking Ruth to the field of Boaz. And from the introduction of Boaz until the birth of the child, the story zeroes in on the suspense of whether Boaz will take Ruth as his wife. And there's a glimpse of it that Ruth, uh, excuse me, Boaz notices her in the field 
right away. And something about Ruth catches his eye, that she's someone new, that she was unexpected. And so the story begins to build on whether Boaz will take Ruth as his wife and will provide for her and Naomi. Now when Naomi hears of Boaz's care for Ruth, I want you to notice what she says in chapter 2, verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So when we are introduced to Boaz, we see immediately he takes an interest in Ruth. And then Naomi informs that he is a redeemer. And specifically, he's what's called a kinsman redeemer. Now, what is a kinsman redeemer? In Leviticus 25, it stipulated that if a husband died, the next of kin would marry the wife to provide for them and keep the line going. Now, that may sound strange to our modern ears, but it was tied to them of keeping the land. And it was actually an act of, of compassion and ensured support for women that were oftentimes helpless in society. So the kinsman redeemer was actually a gracious law of God to care for those who could not always care for themselves. And so Boaz is introduced as this kinsman redeemer. And the story continues where Ruth places herself before Boaz's mercy and as you read the story, she goes to be by Boaz, and Boaz uh, notices that she is there, and he shows her mercy. And the, 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 the story moves in what seems is going to be a simple fix. Boaz just simply has to marry Ruth, and it will take care of everything. Ruth, Boaz, or Boaz will just simply redeem Ruth. And it seems so simple, but as you read the story, there's a as all good stories, there's a, there's a plot twist. In fact, what the plot twist is this, is in chapter 3, verse 12, we say, Boaz says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. And so there's a complication in the story. Whereas it was just seemed like a simple fix for Boaz to be able to marry Ruth as the next of kin, we see that well, there's a complication because there's a one that's actually a closer redeemer. Now, Boaz says he's going to take care of this. He's a man of action. And in chapter 4, we see him not waiting around, but takes it, matters into his own hands in verse 1. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken had come by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. It's literally such and such, this nearer kinsman redeemer's never named in the text, but where he calls him friend literally in the Hebrew, it's turn aside, such and such. He says, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city. These are witnesses. And he said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, that is such and such. He's speaking to such and such. He says, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know 
for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, if you read the story of Ruth for the very first time, and you read that first time where Boaz goes to present this case to the other redeemer, and the other redeemer says, I'll take the child, or I'll take uh, Naomi myself and buy her land, your heart almost sinks. Because the whole time you're rooting for Boaz to take Ruth as his wife, and then when this, this redeemer that's closer to Ruth says, I'll take Naomi's land, your heart sinks because there's that twist in the plot where it seems like everything's lost. But Boaz, notice what he says in verse 5. Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. Ruth is called the Moabite over and over again. Moabites weren't Jewish. They were the offspring of Lot. They were forbidden to be married to him. Now he emphasizes, you also have to acquire Ruth the Moabite, the, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And so Boaz then fulfills his duty as the kinsman redeemer. So Boaz is introduced as the redeemer. He plays the role of the redeemer. And then he redeems Ruth. So I ask the question again, who is the redeemer of the text? Now notice the attributes of this redeemer. First, he's a redeemer. What's a redeemer? Well, according to, to Joe Beakey, he says a redeemer, quote, is refers to a person's kinsman or close relative that bore responsibility to redeem lost property, purchase freedom from slavery or captivity, avenge murder and marry a widow, end quote. So a redeemer would buy back someone that was in debt. A redeemer takes upon the debt of another so that they may be free. And we've seen Boaz as the redeemer from the first introduction of him. So who is the redeemer of the story? Notice another attribute of this redeemer. It says that he shall be renowned. What does it mean to be renowned? That's simply the proclamation of a name. And it's actually, it has an official importance. In many ways, you can see this as prefiguring kingship. Where it says, and may his name be renowned in Israel, is may he be well known. But really, it's prefiguring that idea of kingship. Now, how, how have we seen Boaz throughout the whole text? He was noted as being a worthy man. Some translations say a wealthy man. But in, in essence, it means this is a man of substance that is known. He's able to sit in the town square and tell someone, you sit here and you sit there. He's a man of action. He's well known. He was respected. He, was shown, he showed concern for his workers and the people allowing them to glean, which demonstrated his care for people more than making profit. He was well known in the town square. He's respected. So who is it, according to verse 14, that is supposed to be renowned in Israel? Notice the next attribute. It says this, He shall be to you a restorer of life. Now what's fascinating about this, and 
I actually had never seen this until this last week. This is almost an exact phrase of Psalm 23. Let me just read Psalm 23. We read this in verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That same phrase, that, that he will be a restorer of life, is the same phrase that's used of Yahweh's care for his people in bringing them life. So what is used explicitly for the Lord is applied here in the book of Ruth for the Redeemer. Now it's interesting as you read the story, you'll see that it is Boaz who had covered them. It is Boaz that had provided for them food many times over. He always gave Ruth an abundance of food before they were married. So ask the question, who is it that is going to restore Naomi's life. There's another attribute. He shall be a nourisher of your old age. Now, she, Naomi had been concerned for caring for Ruth, but here we see that someone now will preserve her. Where she was once empty, she's now full because someone is going to cover her. And the one that restores her life is the one that gives her new life and will be the one that also uh, preserves and sustains her life. So who is this one that will be a nourisher to her? Now, it would be easy, and many people have answered the question this way, to just assume it's Boaz. However, it's not Boaz. Boaz is not the redeemer here. He's not the renowned in Israel. He's not the restorer of life. He's not the nourisher of age. And yes, Boaz is a picture of righteousness. Boaz is a picture of what a Redeemer does. Uh, Boaz is the picture of one that's gracious, that even takes foreigners outside of Israel into his home. But Boaz is not the Redeemer. Notice what the text teaches in verse 15. He... That is speaking of the Redeemer, the nourisher, the restorer of life, the one that will be renowned. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. It's not Boaz that's the Redeemer, the nourisher, the sustainer, the renowned it's actually the child that is birthed. It's Obed. Why is it that Obed is the redeemer? Why is it that Obed is the restorer of life, the nourisher of her in her old age? It's because Obed is the promise and guarantee that is the promised king of Israel will be born. In fact, the text even makes a big point of this in verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. The emphasis here is about the birth of this child 
And it all culminates in the most important sentence of the book in verse 22. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. That's the whole entire book. And you notice that this, the theme of kingship is unavoidable in the book. It begins by connecting itself to the book of Judges, which says, We have no king, and you're introduced to a man that's named Elimelech, the Hebrew word for king is Melech. The whole entire book is, is focused in on a book, on, on a, the idea of kingship. It starts about with the idea of leaving Bethlehem, coming back to Bethlehem. It was probably written during the time of Malachi, which prophesizes the birth of a king from Bethlehem. The whole entire book is pointing to a king that will be born. Obed is the one that is supposed to be the redeemer. But we have to see a bigger picture. While it points to David, it ultimately points to David's greater son, the birth of a child in Bethlehem. Again, notice how the book begins in Bethlehem and ends in Bethlehem. And because it was written during the time of Malachi that was prophesying the birth of the Messiah, in Bethlehem, the book is screaming to us to look forward to the Messiah and the birth of the Messiah. And we have to recognize something that is when you think of all of these attributes of the Redeemer that are mentioned here, they're only fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so when we see the picture of, that is pictured in Obed, we are to automatically think of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in whom we have redemption. And why do we have redemption? Because of forgiveness of sins. And how is this accomplished by the Lord Jesus well, we see in Matthew chapter 20, in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is how that redemption was accomplished, is that this child that was born would grow into a man. He would live a perfect life in accordance with the will of the Father, and he would give his own life. And as he gave his own life, we see it was through the shedding of blood. In 1 Peter, in chapter 1, in verse 18, we see this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When we think of Christmas and we think of the birth of a child, our eyes are quickly going from a manger to the cross where there is spilt blood. Why did there have to be a giving of a life and the spilling of blood? Because God is a just God. And Christ as our Redeemer takes the responsibility of redeeming us by giving His life. We are by faith are given His life that was perfect. Let me ask you this morning, do you 
Do you believe in Jesus? But have you trusted in Jesus? Are you resting in Jesus? Or do you rest in your own ability to redeem yourself? You know, Naomi lost everything. The world she lived in was filled with suffering, death, sickness, barrenness, famine, loneliness, fear, and violence. From Naomi's perspective, the world looked bleak, but with the birth of a child, she found hope in the midst of suffering. And as we look upon the world, we see all the same things Naomi has. We have suffering, we have death, we have sickness, we have barrenness, we have famine, we have loneliness, we have fear, we have violence, we have an uncertainty of what tomorrow is going to look like. We face all of the same things that Naomi did, but Naomi found her hope in the birth of a child. And we too may find this relief in the Lord Jesus Christ, the child born in Bethlehem. And as Naomi took this child in her arms, I ask, have we by faith had the eternally begotten Son of God placed in our hearts? So this Christmas, let us remember what the story of Ruth teaches us. The Messiah is for all people. Jesus came from both Jew and Gentile alike, meaning he identified with all people. That he came to rescue his ancestors, and his ancestors were all sinners. He comes to rescue people just like us. We see in the story of Ruth that the Lord keeps his promises. We see in the birth of Obed, which points us to the birth of, of David, from whom the Lord Jesus, according to the flesh, would come from. So let us be reminded that the Lord is sovereign over all things. And in him and in him alone are we rescued from the curse. In him alone has the wrath of God been satisfied. In him alone do we find comfort and the answer to our sin problem. In him alone do we have a solution to the death and sickness and the pain and the suffering that we face in this world in the child that was born in Bethlehem. And may he be placed in your hearts by faith this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior, our Prophet, our Priest. We thank you for the Lord Jesus that he mediates right now on behalf of his people. Father, may this never be far from our hearts. And as we're peculiarly reminded of it this Christmas, Father, we pray that it would never be far from our thoughts and mind, that Christ is our only means of salvation, that Christ is our only means of comfort, and Christ is the only solution to the pain and suffering of this world. In Him, the curse is reversed. It's in His name we pray. Amen.